What's up, UXers? Okay, so I started this podcast two years ago with imposter syndrome raging strong. Uh, I was just wondering, like, would anybody listen? Would anyone want to be on the show? Would I have the stamina to keep it up? Would my sound quality just be totally immature? Well, I'm still working on improving that sound quality, but I'm pretty proud of myself for publishing 26 episodes in two years. So after a few months into 2020, once my husband Luke joined up with Rewired and took on the podcast editing, we actually got into a rhythm of publishing uh, an episode every other Thursday. So very proud of that. But I actually couldn't be happier to say that this is my last episode of hosting the UX Hustle podcast. Not because I hate podcasting. I love it more than I ever thought that I would. But I'm handing it off to someone that I know will take this show to amazing new places. And I'm starting a new podcast. One that is totally focused on my true priority, uh, which I got a lot better this year at focusing on. Um, I'm just trying to pull myself in lots of different directions um, because I'm just interested in lots of different things. But actually, it was it had a lot to do with um, COVID-19 and just really kind of assessing what's important and what's not um, or not as important. You know, you just one of my mantras is, is you can do anything, but you can't do everything. So trimming has been sort of a theme for the year. And that true priority of mine is, of course, object-oriented UX, information architecture, data wrangling, structured content, and really thinking about the UX process in, uh, in an innovative way. So on the new podcast, I'll be interviewing certified OUX strategists to hear how they're using OUX on their projects. Um, we'll learn together how they're adapting and building on the, the, um, the ORCA process. And um, I'm also going to be interviewing industry leaders in the fields of information architecture and content strategy and design systems and human psychology as it applies to how we design digital products that are naturally intuitive to our um, to our lizard brains. And through these conversations, we're all going to learn together about how to make the object oriented UX process stronger and even more revolutionary. So the first couple episodes actually are going to be solo. So I'm going to be creating audio versions of my most popular OUX articles. So those original A List Apart articles and a few favorites from Medium. So basically, I'm going to read to you some of my best content and, of course, just ad lib with extra stories and relevant updates to how my thinking has changed since those articles were posted. So that first episode is actually going to be going back to an article I posted on a list apart in 2015 at the very beginning of this journey. And I actually reread that article just yesterday. And I realized that it's actually still super relevant. There's certain things that I've changed about the process that I want to, you know, go back through and talk to you guys about. Um, but but the core of it is still a really great introduction. So I'm actually going to go back to 2015 and revisit that article in an audio version. Um, and of course, there's going to be lots of sidebar comments, I can imagine. Um, so I... My plan is that this, these first couple episodes are actually going to serve as sort of an audio primer or primer, as my husband was trying to tell me it was pronounced. I really think it's primer, though. Uh, but basically an introductory course on object UX that you can listen to on your walks, in the car, um, in the bathtub, wherever. So please go ahead and subscribe if you want to stick with me uh, by going over to anchor.fm slash OOUX. So of course, that's going to be in the show notes. I'm going to get a prettier, more custom URL later. But for now, um, you can go subscribe there, and um, so you will know as soon as the first episode comes out, which is going to be on September 24th. Or if you want to be alerted and just always in the know on all the OUX happenings, make sure to join my newsletter at rewiredux.com newsletter, and that, of course, is going to be in the show notes, too. Okay, so who 
is taking over the hostdom or hostessdom of the UX Hustle podcast. So drumroll, please. That would be the lovely, the talented, the wicked smart and certified OUX strategist, Amanda Worthington. So Amanda and I met through Ladies at UX a few years ago. She came to the very first UX Hustle Summit. I saw her there. We chit-chatted there. Um, She actually then joined the UX Hustle Club, which is a group of 14 women that I mentored over the course of, of the of a year um, in 2019, we met on a, on a monthly basis and basically just ate tacos together and talked about career stuff. So we really got to know each other that year. And in 2019, she actually spoke at the UX Hustle Summit. And when I decided that large scale conference organizing was just not my thing, uh, and I actually announced um, a few months after the 2019 UX Hustle Summit, the UX Hustle Club was meeting at my house, and I announced that there was not going to be a UX Hustle Summit in 2020. And Amanda and I just locked eyes, and we'll tell the story in this episode, but the transfer was complete. So <laughs> the transfer was complete, followed by the most ridiculous and endearing display of happy crying that I've ever witnessed in my life. Um, so we'll go into that story in the episode just a little bit. So Amanda is now pulling together the third UX Hustle Summit, which I fully expect to be the most amazing summit yet. Seriously, the only thing better than creating something you love and seeing it through to the end is creating something you love and handing it off to someone you love and who you are fully confident will actually do a better job than you would do. So not only am I confident that Amanda is just going to knock this out of the park with the conference, I know she's going to take this podcast to new levels too. Amanda is just, she's super passionate about helping UX designers create careers they love. And that's a big part of what this podcast is all about. So expect more about UX specific career coaching, UX career success stories, and um, and hopefully she'll have me back on every now and then to talk about object-oriented UX and we can geek out on that. So before we jump into the interview with Amanda, let me just tell you a little bit more about the UX Hustle Summit. So it's a two-day event. Um, it's actually two really easy to digest half days. Um, it's kicking off on Friday, September 25th at about 3 p.m., um, Eastern time. So just if you're in the Eastern time zone, you just kind of like dip out of work a little bit early to get started with that. It'll go through the evening, kind of turn into a happy hour, and then we'll come back together on Saturday morning, um, and go through about early afternoon. So let me just hop over to the schedule real quick. And let me just give you a few highlights to see if you think this is going to be something you want to come and hang out with us. So, um, we have, um, an amazing opening keynote speaker. So Denise Jacobs, uh, the author of Banish Your Inner Critic, is doing a our uh, introductory um, kickoff keynote on transforming your self-talk to elevate performance, specifically working on that inner critic to actually become a better designer and become more creative. Um, so that's that's incredibly exciting. We're, it's just a huge honor to have her. We're also going to talk to um, uh, Rachel, actually rather, Rachel Hart is going to talk to us about building Georgia's design system. So we're going to geek out on design systems. Um, Teresa Ward is going to talk about taking constructive criticism, how to really handle criticism. Corinne Cardasco-Pack is going to be talking about communication tips from a UX writing perspective. So if you've been curious about UX writing, this is a really good talk to um, to take in. Nandita Gupta, I'm super excited about this talk. She's going to be talking about what martial arts taught her about UX and accessibility. I'm going to be talking about Optidora UX, of course. So the theme, I didn't mention the theme. The theme of the conference is navigating increasing complexity. So all these talks are going to be sort of through that lens of navigating a world that's just becoming increasingly complex. So I'm specifically going to be talking about object-oriented UX in a way to cheat on your information architecture and how you can use OUX to sort of discover your IA instead of trying to design your IA. So it's going to actually help you do less work. We've got a talk by Paul Boshears and Abril Shipley on how to actually use Confucian philosophy to bring together cross-functional teams. We've got a talk by Kimberly Estes on ageism and our closing keynote is going to be Steve Fisher. So it is a bang up lineup 
Adobe XD, Webflow, My Company Rewired, Axure, Synergist Creative are all partnering with us on this event. So we're going to have some awesome vendor booths too. And what does a vendor booth look like in a virtual conference? Well, if you haven't been to a virtual conference using Hopin yet, you're in for a treat. So it's this premium virtual conferencing software, which actually does a really good job of sort of giving you a sense of place. There's also really great opportunities and um, and sort of mechanisms for low pressure, introvert friendly networking. So with the discount code that is of course in the show notes, tickets are only $70 with this discount for this like life-changing, career invigorating, transformative two-day event put on by yours truly and the new UX Hustle podcast host, Amanda Worthington. So get that link in the show notes. Make sure to get your ticket, get your spot. It's just in a few weeks, and I guarantee you will get 100 times ROI on that $70. That's like that's like Uber Eats for you and for you and your partner, okay, on a Friday night. Um, I, I don't know. I, sp- I spend $70 on Uber Eats way too often. Um, not so much now that I'm in the mountains because I don't think Uber Eats even comes here anymore. Anyways. Hope to see you there in this amazing virtual space. And let's go talk to Amanda. Let's go on with the interview. What's up, UX designers? Welcome to the UX Hustle podcast. This is a show about having fun designing intuitive and valuable experiences and crafting a fulfilling career within UX design. Now here's your host, Sophia Wojciechowski prater All right, let's do this. So Amanda, welcome to the UX Hustle podcast in so many ways. (laughs) Thank you. Welcome as a guest. And soon I'm going to be welcoming you as a host, actually. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. But um, for those that don't know yet, um, Amanda Worthington, she is a UX researcher and she will be, she has taken over the UX Hustle Summit, the conference um, that she attended the first year, spoke at the second year, and now she is the director this year. So she has taken over this year. And she is also taking over the UX Hustle podcast too, which makes so much sense. Um, But we'll talk a little bit more about that transition later. But just for those that don't know you, can you kind of introduce yourself? Tell us where you are now and kind of how you got here. Yeah, totally. So now I am, as you said, I'm a UX researcher. And before that, um, way back, I was a civil engineer um, at Vanderbilt, (laughs) which is very different. Um, and then from there, I was a consultant doing utility accounting um, here in Atlanta and traveling all the time and working on implementing software uh, for my clients. And then I quit my job and uh, joined General Assembly and started my transition into user experience design. Um, Can I ask a stupid question? Yeah. <laughs> for- I mean, I don't think it's like, I have a vague idea, but can you tell me what does it mean to implement software? Yeah. So for the software that I was implementing, it was utility accounting software. And so it's not something that you can just uh, like install and it's ready to go. Um, There's a lot of configuration required, a lot of, I did a lot of customizations of actually writing custom code of data cleanup and Um, just to make it so that a client could use our software and use it uh, up to the regulations that they had to be a part of. So making sure it worked with all their rules. So, and and as you did that implementation and I guess kind of like customization work for the individual client, were you seeing UX issues? Do you feel like that was a time where you were starting to like think about, wow, this could have been designed better or... um, were you sort of running into UX problems at that point? Definitely. Um, I think at first I didn't see it that way uh, because I was just trying to understand the ins and outs of the software, understand the complexities and just wrap my head around it. But as I progressed through the company and I was there for five years, uh, both implementing and then I was actually in support And so in support, that's where you see all the juicy (laughs) UX problems of people calling in with the same problems all the time. And with 
those clients, when they would call in, you could tell they felt so guilty about calling in like, Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm having this problem again. And it was at that time that I was able to zoom out and be like, this actually is not your problem at all. <laughs> like, this isn't your fault. Um, it's actually very easy to make these mistakes and very easy to, well, screw up a lot of your data because the system allowed you to because people didn't have that in mind. So at this, at this time, as you're going through this, as, as you're implementing software and providing customer support, um, did you know what UX was? Was that in your vocabulary? No, definitely not. How did you find out about UX? So I started taking online classes for web design through um, a company called Skill Crush, which I still highly recommend. Um, And it was all online. So even while I was traveling, I was able to take those courses. And while I was going through web design, I still had that thought of how do people come up with this stuff? (laughs) Like, do people just (laughs) pull things out of the air, like different layouts and... Um, even colors and branding and things like that, do they just pull them out of the sky? Um, And I think I went to a meetup at General Assembly and picked up a pamphlet (laughs) on (laughs) design. And as I was reading about it, and then I found an article that talked all about uh, the qualities you would have as a UX designer. And it just reminded me so much of engineering and the scientific method and those kinds of processes that I loved. That was how I approached work. And I was like, Oh, this makes way more sense. (laughs) Oh, they test it. (laughs) What a novel idea. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's just so funny how we, um, how so many people, we just kind of stumble into this world because it's, um, I don't know. I guess like our PR is kind of bad. I think still people don't understand or know what UX is. And there's probably so many people out there that would make wonderful UX designers and they just don't even know about it. Um, For sure. So you've done multiple transitions in your life going from, I mean, going from engineer to UX design. That's huge. I mean, civil engineering um, Mm -hmm. to UX design. That's a big leap. Um, And you've recently made another transition going from UX design to really your main job being UX research. So why did you, uh, why did you want to make that transition? And uh, I guess how, how's it working out for you? <laughs> yeah, great question. Um, so as I started, I was having more conversations about research and about um, where there were opportunities to get more involved with it. Uh, we, we do a lot of usability testing. Um, we have personas that we use. We have some of the frameworks uh, around research, but there wasn't a concerted effort to make it a part of our process. And as I was talking with my boss about where the opportunities are and how we could um, infuse more of that into our, uh, into our team, it became pretty clear to me that it, it like needed a human, <laughs> like it needed a dedicated person to actually drive it forward and to you know, keep a pulse on the industry of what is going on in research and think through how we were going to, um, you know, build research processes and interviews and actually make that happen. Because otherwise, with a lot of things, like everyone wants to do it, but there's so many other initiatives, there's so many other projects going on that you have to move forward. And so I took it upon myself <laughs> to be that human. So there was so that there wouldn't be that diffusion of responsibility where everybody's thinking like, oh, that's a great idea, but nobody's actually owning it. Right. Um, so it sounds like you kind of created the position for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us, tell us, Amanda, how does one go about that? How did you actually sell this idea? I mean, it sounds like everybody was kind of already like thinking about that, but how did you actually like get into the brass tacks? How did you make that happen? How did you create a position for yourself? Yeah. So it took, it took some time. (laughs) Um, It was, you know, originally it was just regular conversations around how can we do more of this? And I pitched the idea that we really need a single person that's thinking about this all the time. And 
at that point I was already embedded on a team. I was working on a project um, with another designer, with a product owner and developers and everything. So it was how do we build the foundation for this so that when I can roll off of that project, um, we're in a position that makes sense um, to where I can dedicate myself to that, to where people aren't like, what's Amanda doing over there? <laughs> awesome. So, um, all right. So one of the reasons that we were going to be chatting today was that we were going to be talking about object-oriented UX because you are a certified OUX strategist, which is awesome. Um, but we're going to have you back on because the OUX podcast is going to be spinning up soon. So you'll be one of the first guests and we'll kind of really dig into all the nerdy OUX stuff. Um, so we actually, I do, I do have like one or two questions about OUX that we might get to because of the UX Hustle Summit theme this year. Yes. But let's talk a little bit about you taking over the summit. So I love to tell this story, but I want you to tell the story. <laughs> so can you please tell the story of what happened last, I guess it was like last October or something. Yes. After I um, was basically um, done in by... UX Hustle Summit 2019. What happened? Well, so you had the UX Hustle Club um, over at your house once a month where we ate tacos and talked about all things UX. And it was the first one we had after UX Hustle Summit. And we're sitting around the table <laughs> eating our tacos and giving updates. And you went last. <laughs> And so we go oh, all the way around. That. Yes. <laughs> and we're sitting directly across from each other. And I had just started talking about research at PGI and like what that was going to look like. And, and I had just gotten back from a conference in San Diego too. So I was also in my mind, I was like, conference. And so it gets to you and you're sitting across from me and you're like, well, there's not going to be a UX Hustle Summit anymore. And it was just like too much. And there was so much going on. I just, it, no. And then you paused and went, unless somebody else wants to take it. And you didn't look at me. <laughs> and I just shot my hand up and we locked eyes and you went, you mean it? I was like, yeah. You said, it's yours. And then I burst into tears <laughs> and just What's sobbed that? at the table. <laughs> Like, like one of the biggest cries I've ever seen an adult person. <laughs> and like friends that are listening know that this isn't like that surprising. <laughs> but yeah. it was like a full body yes, though. And it was and it was a full body give too. Like I just felt it like flow from me to you and um like almost like the weight being lifted off my shoulders and being squashed onto you. <laughs> wonderful, <laughs> wonderful feeling. <laughs> so, so yeah, so we've been kind of working together on this, um, you doing the lion's share of the work, but um, then of course COVID happened. So now we had like, there are some big plans going on in January, like a ball pit, which is hilarious to think of now. <laughs> how a ball pit would have gone over. So much sanitizing um, of all those so awesome ball pits. <laughs> Six hours of sanitizing <laughs> every 30 minutes. Well, I, yeah, yeah, in January, I was work. like, you know, what's the proper size of a ball pit? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's going to be three times as big as last year. So we're going to need right. like the, probably the XL up. Ball pit, yeah, exactly. Oh my gosh, and like like small climbing wall. I think that there was talk of that. I mean, we had lots of ideas. So, of course, the ball pit is out, um, and a lot of other beautiful stuff about having an in person conference. Um, so now that our conference is going to be virtual, what are you excited about? Like, what do you think that um, is going to be? What's actually cool about having a virtual conference? Honestly, so many things. Like, I'm actually really excited. Um, I'm excited because it's, like, 
you can do so much, you can reach so many more people. And Mm -hmm. that's what I'm really excited about is being able to have people outside of Atlanta, people in Atlanta that wouldn't normally be able to go. um, And even speakers and having speakers from outside of Atlanta and in other places and just being able to extend that outward, I think is so cool and so exciting. Um, And the platform that we're using, I'm really excited about because there's, there's so many opportunities for uh, connection, which I've been on virtual conferences. Like I said before, I'm a conference junkie. Like I go to a lot of conferences and I've been to virtual conferences that aren't so fun that feel like you're just on a webinar for a really long time. (laughs) And and that's not what this is going to be like. This is going to be like being at an actual conference just in your house and having that convenience factor and, um, and being able to do that, I think is awesome. Yeah. I think that there's just, I mean, there's the being able to extend it, um, Also, just like, I think that it's an interesting challenge too. I mean, as a designer, like we thrive within constraints and I know we've had a lot of cool conversations and some brainstorming on how to bring serendipity and how to bring, how to bring that real human element, that connection in um, and make it feel like we're all in the same place. And that's just, it's a really interesting design challenge on little things and big things that we can do to, um, to, you know. I guess, simulate, but also go beyond simulation and actually doing things that just aren't even possible um, with a, uh, with a real conference, real conference (laughs) with a, (laughs) with an in-person conference. No. And that's so true. I think that I've always felt like UX design can change the world and that it shows challenges as such great opportunities. And this is one of those times. And I've watched other people cancel their events this year and full on cancel or think about postponing and then ultimately deciding to cancel. And I know that that's a tough decision and a tough thing to do. And, but I'm really glad that we were able to look at this as an opportunity and still challenge ourselves to provide a great experience for everybody. Yeah, exactly. I mean, even, um, so I've been running some OOUX virtual uh, workshops. And what's interesting is some things are harder, but then with tools like Miro and Mural, um, there is so many opportunities to actually like collaborate in really interesting ways that you actually can't do with a physical whiteboard that you can't do with a virtual whiteboard. So I think we're just like, we're just kind of scratching the surface on the possibilities and we're all having to get really creative um, within the constraints, which is cool. So I think we need to back up a little bit because um, transferring uh, and the, the conference over to you and now the podcast feels so right. feels very, very right. And it feels right because I know how much you care about UX mentorship and about creating people creating really intentional and joyous, for lack of a better word, UX careers, like really enjoying this. And um, and what I think is so ironic about our careers, it's such a cool place to be. It's such a cool place where you can really, you can direct your career, you can decide what pieces interest you, you can decide what industries interest you. Um, there's just so much flexibility within the career, which is within this career path, which is sometimes really overwhelming for people. And um, the tragic thing is, is I think that there's a lot of people, especially people coming into um, UX design that are getting disillusioned for multiple reasons. It's, um, I think that our industry is so young and companies are in general not very great about bringing in new UX designers, continuing the education, and really like figuring out what to do with them. So there's a lot of people that are actually really unhappy with their jobs, even though it's such a cool field to be in. So this, that's really kind of, and, and you're nodding your head here, but that, that's really what got me into this whole, like, you, like wanting to mentor and wanting to help people um, kind of tackle that overwhelm and be intentional about their career. 
So what is it for you? Why do you think mentorship is so important specifically to UX design, to our industry? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a great point that our industry is so young and there are just, there's just so many opportunities and I think, and so many career paths. And as the industry is growing and as we're getting involved in different kinds of industries and different kinds of products with, you know, increased complexity. Um, it's how do you handle that? And how do you navigate that? Like, how do you figure out when there's so many options, um, what to do? And Mm -hmm. for me, that was my feeling when I was a consultant. I remember having this conversation with my mom in our kitchen, drinking wine. And she looked at me and was like, you could literally do anything. And I do not envy that. And I was like, oh man, that's exactly what it is. And I see that in the industry now of people just being like, I could do so many things. I don't want to pick the wrong thing. Or I don't want to pick one thing. And then like, I don't feel like I'm qualified for that yet. And so I'm just not going to pick anything or I'm just going to let, you know, whatever's, whatever project I end up on dictate what I'm going to pick up and what I'm going to do. And I think where we're at with UX design right now is there's, there's this opportunity for like taking ownership of your career. And Mm -hmm. when you have that knowing and that alignment for yourself and that passion for what you want, it makes it so much easier to get it. <laughs> Cause you, when you know, you have those conversations, it's like, Oh, well, if that, like, that's what you want to do, then okay, let's do it. Um, are we going to like get into a little bit of law of attraction here? Because <laughs> probably, <laughs> uh, um, so I was just listening to this morning, um, a, YouTube clip that I would highly recommend. It is called The Strangest Secret, Strangest Secret by Earl Nightingale, Nightingale, Nightingale. We'll link to it in the show notes. Um, But he was talking about uh, first the definition of success, which the definition of the way that he defines the definition of success. And this is like from like the 1950s or the 1960s or something. And um, I don't even know if that's right, but it's like when you hear him talk, he has that like old timey voice. It's like crackly, (laughs) you know, like the old, I can't do the impression of the old timey voice, but um, if I could grab my husband, he could do the impression. Um, But you know what I'm talking about. Everybody that's listening, you know what I'm talking about. Like the, the, the elderly white man from the 1960s, like telling on the news or something. So anyways, he's talking about, um, the definition of success and the way that he defines success is as long as you are any moment that you are working toward a clear and worthwhile goal, you are succeeding. So it's not the getting there. It's kind of like, it's not the journey. It's the dest or it's not the destination. It's the journey. Um, but I love this idea of like every moment, every moment that you are working toward the goal, that clear, that clear defined worthy goal every moment that you're working toward that you are succeeding and but first you have to of course define that goal you have to have a very good picture in your head of that goal um and then you have to work toward it and then he gets into some law of attraction stuff and this idea of like you what you think what you think is what you are and the more you think about your goal the more you visualize your goal the closer you're getting to it yes So when I was, (laughs) it's so funny you said that because when I was at General Assembly, I started doing miracle mornings, which is Ah. where you do, you meditate, meditate, affirm, uh, visualize, journal, read, like a professional or personal development book and work out uh, for an hour in the morning. And affirming part was I distinctly remember sitting and writing, I am a UX designer over and over and over again. (laughs) And it was to the point that I really think that helped me when to like, just 
infuse that in my being <laughs> to where oh, I, had said sure. it, I had said it to myself so many times that saying it in an interview or saying at a networking event was so much easier because I had told myself that every day. <laughs> yeah, you were embodying it for 100%. 100%. Um, okay, so I want to switch gears just a little bit because I feel like we could really go off the deep end here with <laughs> Law of Attraction stuff. Um, so let's talk a little bit. You touched on um, navigating increasing complexity and how their UX designers, like when I got into UX design 10 years ago, it was a totally different world than what it is now. So the theme, we actually um, sent out a poll for, we had three options for a theme and we had people from previous years vote on the theme. And it was like navigating increasing complexity just blew everything out of the water as far as the, um, as the, uh, the other two, I don't remember what the other two was that were. Um, it was business for UX and finding your niche. Uh, yep. Yep. Which are, it wasn't like the other two themes were bad or anything <laughs> no. like the other, I, I, I had no idea which one would, um, which one would kind of shake out. Um, but yeah, navigating increasing complexity really blew it out of the water. So, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of asking the same question again, but why do you think that is like, why do you think people are wanting help with this so much? Like, why do you think that this is such a, a hot topic? And then it just, you know, uh, went off the charts as far as our poll is concerned? Well, I think it's a combination of things. I think it's more complex industries are starting to adopt UX design and starting to think about mm -hmm. it that way. Um, and I think that it's also not the easy thing to teach about. Um, like it's not something, it is kind of that next level UX um, way of thinking. It's mm -hmm. not just user flows and um, like just doing and executing the work. It's um, it's that added complexity that you really only get at work. Like you can't really simulate it. It's tough to simulate it. Because um, when I think of navigating increasing complexity, I don't think it's just um, like the technology, it's part of that, but it's also the complexity of different industries. It's the complexity of working with multiple teams and multiple expertises and trying to get everybody on the same page towards, towards a common goal. Um, and I think UX design is kind of in that middle area where we have the opportunity to see all of that. And then it's like, well, now what do I do with that? Like I see what's going on, but I don't know how to inject myself into it. I don't know where my place is in order to improve a product or process or whatever it is. I think that's a really good point that it's the, the industries that are taking on UX are, you know, those kind of like last bastions of <laughs> these sort of older industries. And it's also these the, the more complex industry, uh, industries also have these older databases too. They're, they're older, they're insurance companies and, and medical companies. Um, they have very old databases, old technology, lots of legacy technology. Um, and they are also, as UX continues to sort of penetrate the world, we're going like, we're basically going deeper and deeper into the weeds. So we're no longer really expected to just kind of skate on the surface and, you know, decide like, oh, all these 16 radio buttons really should be a drop down. Like we're, we're kind of, we were operating for a while at that control level or even at like the feature level. And now more and more we're being expected to operate at the product level or the service level for these more complex industries. So the expectations of what UX should be able to do is just to like, it's just going deeper and deeper um, from the surface into the architecture, deep into the architecture of the products. Um, and you gotta be able to, you gotta be able to handle complexity. Um, yeah, and I think also those industries are kind of those uh, default <laughs> industries. Like they're things we have to have. And mm -hmm. I don't know if people really thought about 
why are we doing it this way? Or like, why is it architected this way? And now that we're uncovering and peeling back the layers of that and asking the question of what do people really need and want, um, it ends up upheaving a lot of things. It ends up being um, a larger conversation. Yes, definitely. So I had a follow-up question and that is, so, okay, Amanda, I'm a UX designer. I'm a brand new UX designer and I just got thrown into one of these situations. Um, I'm the only UX designer, which is often true in some of these situations, these older companies that, um, that are these default companies. UX really hasn't been a, hasn't been a, um, an issue before because there's not really any alternatives. Our customers basically have to use us. So everybody else is hiring UX designers. So I get hired as a UX designer, uh, maybe even straight out of my boot camp, and I am thrown in to an incredibly complex situation. Like as a mentor, and you're my mentor, like what advice would you give to me to to be able to sort of handle and kind of and, and sort of and navigate this? Yeah, I think it's, I think there's an element of like, don't try to boil the ocean (laughs) in there Uh Um, that, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day and, you know, you don't have to put so much pressure on yourself either because that's something that I have done historically in my career. Um, But I think it's also uh, taking the time with whoever your manager is to talk about like how you want to understand the system and understand the complexities and that, and even time boxing that of a month or however long makes sense, depending on the complexity of the software to be like, can I talk to people at the company that are using, using the software or um, are at different places within the organization that talk to customers or talk to the issues of the software that can really explain to me how things are working because the beauty of being <laughs> brand new in a job is you can, you can ask the dumb questions and mm-hmm. that there's opportunity in that of just trying to understand and trying to get up to speed. And I think that's the time when people are more receptive to that. So I think it's a great opportunity. That is, that is absolutely, that's great advice. I mean, just to, make sure you can set expectations. So we're for all, for anybody that's listening, that's dealing with us right now, we give you permission to set expectations and say, you're not going to see wireframes from me. It might not even be a month before you start seeing wireframes. Like I might start sketching something, but really I need to understand this because you don't want me designing for this until I actually understand what I'm designing for. Um, and I think most rational people will understand that, but you might, without actually pushing back and setting that expectation, you might get people that are expecting you to start wireframing on the first, in the first week. And that's not a realistic expectation. Exactly. Exactly. Because, and what can happen if you do do that, (laughs) if you do decide to ignore us and (laughs) just start doing wireframes, what can happen is you'll end up, those things will come back anyway. (laughs) Like the things that you didn't understand then, like they'll come back up and then you have to have the even tougher conversation of actually now we have to redesign this because at the time I didn't understand just how this impacted like eight other systems and I didn't realize that. And now that I know that we really should have designed this differently and we should have looked at it differently. Yes. For sure, for sure. It, 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 you can't really sweep complexity under the rug. You can, you can do it in the beginning, but then it will, it will come back to haunt you for sure. And it is so much, it's so much better to sort of nip it in the bud versus like trying to cover up the complexity, going forward on your merry way, saying la 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 la. <laughs> I'm just gonna pretend like I'm not gonna look in, I'm not gonna look at look in that dark, dirty corner over there because it's scary. Um, it will come back to bite you and it will come back to bite you after you have like 37 screens and high fidelity and Figma. And you realize that like half of them don't make any sense anymore because you didn't tackle that 
that dark, dirty corner of complexity. And also the way that dark, dirty corner comes up, I feel like is often in a single Slack message from a developer. They're like, oh, well, what about this? And you're like, oh, shoot. <laughs> like It just blew up everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That one little uh, technical or like, oh, that database doesn't talk to that database. Right. Right. Or like, actually, that's a many, that's a one-to-many relationship. We actually don't do one-to-ones here. Like, that blows everything up. Yeah. So, and OAUX, (laughs) insert plug for OAUX here, because um, that is a really great way to go about figuring out what those questions are and asking the right questions. If you're, if you are in a situation where you're like, I don't even know what questions to ask, or how can I be really methodical about how I'm asking those questions, the object drawing UX process can help you with that. So go check that out. Okay, so um, before we wrap up here, um, what other advice do you have just in general for people that are coming into UX design? Because you have this very unique perspective. You are you are starting to lead the industry here. You're leading here in Atlanta. Um, your, uh, your career is really like, really taken off. Um, you're doing really great work and, but you remember what it was like being in a boot camp. Um, that was not so, so long ago. So you remember those feelings, you remember that conversation with your mom. Um, so for those that are going through that right now, that are maybe job hunting right now, or they're finishing up their, uh, their boot camp, um, what advice would you have for them, um, on kind of embarking on this journey? Yeah. So yeah, it really wasn't that long ago at all. Um, for me, it's def- like networking has been huge for me. Um, and I know right now is an odd time for networking, but that being said, it's helped me always, uh, with job opportunities with, um, and maybe not like the next job, but the job after that. And even things from college, Like I've had friends reach out to me that work at companies that are looking for UX designers and things like that, but from when I was a civil engineer, but they know that I do UX design. And I think that's another thing is letting people know and just owning it of, I do UX now. I'm a designer. This is what I do. And write it, write it down every, every morning, five times. <laughs> yes. You should definitely do that too. Um, if I think if you're, if you're lacking confidence in that, that's a great way to do it. Um, and even just having the conversations with people, practicing those stories of how did I get to UX? I think right now it's one of those things I haven't been doing as often as I would like of telling people my story and, like how I got here and what I do and what I do, (laughs) just what I do. Um, And so taking the time to do that, I think makes a really big difference because people are going to ask you in interviews. People are going to ask you um, at networking events. And so the more confidently you can do that, the better. And like, I mean, practice your craft. And I think picking up projects, I don't think there's anything wrong with picking up projects in order to get more of that experience in order to um, try out new things. I mean, to try out OUX and try to implement that in a, in a side project and see how it goes. Cause then it'll be that much easier to talk to about in an interview to your boss, to whoever. And if you have a job right now and are able to infuse new practices and different practices and practice them with your team and, teach them, that's another great opportunity. Yes, for sure. So side projects. So you're still doing this. You're still taking on side projects (laughs) (laughs) so that you can get these other kinds of experience and that you can practice your craft. Um, So how would you, um, how would you recommend to people that do have a, um, a full-time job? Maybe they want to do some freelance stuff on the side. How do you balance that? So I think for me, I've stopped asking myself the question about balance, to be honest. Um, UX, when I got into UX design, I was dreaming of the day when I had a full-time UX 
job so that I could pursue other hobbies because UX design was everything I was doing on the side of my consulting job. And now that I have a full-time UX job, I'm still doing UX stuff on the side because that's just what I really like doing. And I found clients of mine that I love, that I'm obsessed with, (laughs) that Mm -hmm. I just want to do everything I can to, um, to help their businesses and, um, and make the difference in the world that they're making and be a part of that and help them be even better. And so to me, it's less about balance and it's more about like, how do I make my craft better for these other people that are doing amazing things in the world that can reach people that I don't have the skill set to reach or the desire or whatever, but that they're doing such great work that I can extend that for them. We actually talked about this, I think the other day about work-life integration. Is that the word you use? Tell me more about work-life integration. Yes. So I saw something at Salesforce uh, that a friend of mine, Denise, posted about uh, work-life integration. And I just thought that was such a beautiful way of saying that, especially right now um, during this quarantine time. It's nothing has been so blurry <laughs> as my <laughs> the separation of work life for me personally, and I'm sure others as well. And it made me question, like, what does work-life balance even really mean? Like, what if I just, like, did the things that I enjoyed doing that moved the needle, that pushed things forward, but didn't feel so heavy? or so draining, I guess. And not to say that you shouldn't do things you don't like doing. <laughs> and it's even it's even like do, doing the things that you enjoy doing and when you enjoy doing them too. So that if you feel like, okay, I need to, right now it's a, it's a Thursday afternoon and I'm gonna sign off at four o'clock. I'm done for the day. And then maybe, you know, on Saturday, I'm like, I really, you know, I actually really do. I'm feeling really inspired. And I do actually want to spend two hours working on this client project because I'm feeling, I'm feeling ready to go for it. I'm feeling energized by it. I just had an idea. And for a long time, I really tried to compartmentalize and say like, okay, no, that's not healthy, Sophia. No, you don't need to work on a Saturday. You shouldn't work on a Saturday and you shouldn't go for a two hour walk in the middle of the day on a Wednesday, that's work time. And you know what, like, you really just kind of have to listen to yourself, like have, have habits and routines and patterns. And as much as they serve you, it's like make the rules and then allow yourself to break those rules when you know that it's the right time to break the rules. For sure. And I think that dialogue of the guilt and the punishment aspect of it, I definitely um, have felt before of, oh, well, you know, I took a little longer lunch today. So I need to tack that on to the end of my day in order to make up for that. And like these, or like even arbitrary deadlines that I put in my head of like what Mm. I need to do that, like, I just made up, (laughs) (laughs) you know, (laughs) like that I just made those up, but feeling so, um, like it just adds anxiety to it for no reason that I'm doing that to myself. And it's like, why? <laughs> um, so our, our dear friend, Lindsay Sutton, she, I, I, I like, she is in my head always saying, I'm just, I'm just going to have grace with myself. <laughs> yes. I'm just going to give myself some grace. And I, she was the first person I heard to say that. And I was like, wow, I probably need to do that with myself a little bit more. So it's that, it's that integration, it's knowing what's right for you, when it's right for you, and like being kind to yourself. Um, and especially in well. this, like in quarantine time and um, like everyone's dealing with this in a different way of, you know, and it's, it's okay. Like however you're dealing with it is okay. And Mm -hmm. we're all just doing the best we can. And I think 
the more that I, I feel like my employer has been pretty good about like understanding that. And we are all having conversations about that. And I hope others are doing the same. And it's just like, for me, I've, my sleep is totally whacked, <laughs> like just totally whacked where I think it was Monday. I woke up at four 30 in the morning and there are just some days where it's, well, I can't get back to sleep. So I'm just going to get up and like do some things and like make the best of it. But maybe I'm supposed to be up at four 30 in the morning. Maybe this is the time that I needed and just going with that and not beating myself up over why couldn't you get back to sleep? Like, brr. no, <laughs> I had a great meditation session. That's awesome. <laughs> Got the dishes done. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, just two more questions for you. So what are you, as you're going to be taking over the UX hustle podcast, what are your, what are your hopes? What are your plans? Where do you, where do you think you're going to take this? Ooh. Um, so this is another one of those things where I've like been thinking about a podcast for a while. I have a Figma file full of different cover art photos and a file full of intros and outros. <laughs> so you're prepared. prepared. Um, but it, I'm just so excited to have more conversations with people and to be able to share those conversations. And like, I don't know, I love talking about this stuff and I love talking about UX design and I love, I really do think that UX design can change the world and that we're the people to do it. And I'm just excited. I'm excited to see where it goes. UX design can change the world and we just, um, we just, we, there needs to be more of us. Like, I think that there is this feeling that there's, that it's getting saturated or something like that. And that is, couldn't be further from the no. truth. We need more people. We need to have better mentorship within this community. Um, we need to bring people in, in a much more graceful way. It's really messy now how we're kind of bringing people in. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to hear you talk to people and pick their brain and understand just like how we can make this all better for people coming into the field yeah. and people that are already in the field because it's, I mean, even people that are in the field for five years, it's a revolving door. Your people are always trying to update their portfolio and think about what the next thing is because their current company doesn't value UX designer, doesn't value them as a UX designer. Um, so there's just, there's a lot of churn and there's a lot of new people coming in. So, um, yeah, yeah. Lead the charge. <laughs> Do the good work. <laughs> yeah. I just, I feel like there's just so much opportunity. Like, that's what I feel. I feel uh -huh. like there's this void that nobody's talking about and I don't exactly know what it is, but it's like, yeah, the thing. I see that too. <laughs> it's like, there's this void and we're all kind of just sort of stumbling down around trying to like find the opportunity that's right for us, but we're all kind of like grasping in the dark for it. And, um, yeah, we need to just continue to shed light on it, shed light on the process and figure out how to, how to make this just a little bit easier on people. Um, a little bit more exciting. I think it's scary now, um, getting it's exciting, but it's also scary and it's, um, yeah, I think we just know. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of work to be done to improve this kind of process of educating people into UX, getting them into UX, getting mentorship, um, and getting into people into the job that you know they'll be at for maybe you know more than eleven months, or right? <laughs> something which was right. which was my average right. <laughs> was about eleven months for. <laughs> Oh, first so five true. years of my career, five jobs um, in five years. So, okay, last question for you. Where do you want to see our industry go? Like thinking like 10 years in the future, like where do you want to see UX? Everywhere. Um, uh -huh. <laughs> that's a great answer. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, everywhere. I just, I think that, this digital time that we're in right now is going to be the birthplace of so many interesting things 10 years from now of the different ways of thinking the different conversations we're having um and i and i want to see that more in like in the corporate world 
Like, I want to see more of that because I feel like I'm able to have those conversations with individuals or groups of people. But when, like, how is that happening within companies and at scale? And so, and how are we going to think about these things differently? And I think there's just so much, like, opportunity is just the word that I'm feeling today of, like, when you think about the systems of insurance, of payroll, of these huge systems that are even, like, the software that I was, (laughs) that I was implementing years ago, like, those kinds of softwares, they're also the things that impact people's lives that, um, that people use on a regular basis. And so I'm excited to see the influence of that, of that intentional design and that, um, and how that impacts people's actual lives and Mm. to do more of that and to expand from there. We need to make the UX career path even better to help UXers make other career paths even better. Exactly. And other careers, other jobs better because so many people, their job is working with a certain technology or multiple technologies for eight hours plus a day. And there is so much impact that we can make on people's livelihood. Um, Just really exciting. And especially quality of life. And and I think UX... Mm is really opening the door for other people to get involved in technology. Like you don't have to be a civil engineer to like work with technology. Like, I don't think that should be the case. I think that their software should be more intuitive and be designed in a way that, you know, anyone can use it, but also anyone can have a job that enables them to work with technology and work with software and have that. Wonderful. Awesome. (laughs) Amanda, thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you so much for shepherding the UX Hustle podcast into the future. And um, thank you so much for having me. You'll be interviewing me soon, maybe? Yes, of course. (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Um, I have like so many questions for you, Sophia. (laughs) Awesome. We'll turn the tables. (laughs) All right. Well, that's a wrap. Thanks for hanging out with the UX Hustle. For show notes and more episodes, go to uxhustle.org slash podcast. And remember, don't wait for inspiration to act. Act to get inspired.